One year ago, we explored the period in Superman history from 1986 to 1993 in our series Crisis Till Death. Now, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era as we survey the post-death and rain landscape in comics, toys, video games, and television. This is Death Till Wedding, a new seven-part epic covering 1993 through 1996. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Death Till Wedding, Part 1. Joining me to discuss Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey, the 1995 Doomsday Annual, the Doomsday Wars, and the Kenner line of action figures, Man of Steel, is returning guest, sweet, 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 Bernie Gerstmeyer. Welcome, my friend. Wow, I got four sweets for this podcast. That's pretty awesome, Anthony. I put a little sauce on that one. I put a little sauce on that one. You did. You threw a little something, something on it. That was awesome. I love it. Hey, I'm so excited to start part one because we got to do Death and Return of Superman together. So we're just we're just connecting right through the through the storylines, man. This is the long awaited sequel by me, if no one else. But last <laughs> year we did Crisis Till Death. We covered the period of time from Man of Steel through the death and rain from 86 to 93. It was an epic run of episodes. And we're back now for the sequel to cover the next few years in the Triangle Era. And just like we did last time, where we had our episode on the Ruby Spears cartoon that was happening during that time period, similarly here, we'll touch on what was going on beyond the comics, including, like I said, the action figure line. And what's particularly interesting for me with this event, and I really hope that people enjoy it, I'm so excited to get into it, is that last year, most of what we were reading and talking about was new to me as we discussed, you know, I had read some of the burn stuff and here and there, but most of what we were reading was new until we got to, to death, of course. And it was fascinating to really get the context for everything leading up to my starting comics. But now we're past that. And now we're moving into the era that I remember reading as I was growing up, but that I have not gone back to since that time, including the stories that we're going to talk about today. So this will have a different flavor to it and I'll be coming at it from a different place. And I, I, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah. I, it's very nostalgic. And I said this to you earlier that I have not read some of this until it got reprinted in trade form, which was a few years after, but it's, it, this is going to be a great podcast. Cause I'm so excited. I, I loved reading this whole section. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming along for this ride. So in terms of the reading material, and like I said, we'll also get to that action figure line, but as far as the reading material, so you and I, we have the five-volume set that DC put out, a five a series of trade paperbacks collecting the death, funeral, rain, return, and then the fifth volume is called Doomsday, and it collects the stories that we read. So Superman, Doomsday, Hunter, Prey, and the Doomsday Wars, both written and drawn by Dan Jurgens. They were each a three-part prestige format miniseries. And then we also have the 1995 Doomsday Annual, which had a handful of short stories written by the then, for the most part, the then current uh, stable of Superman writers. So you had Louis Simonson, you had Juergens, you had Roger Stern, you had Jerry Ordway. And that makes up that fifth volume in that trade paperback set. So if anyone's curious exactly what we were working off of, that's the volume. Yeah, that and that Doomsday Annual is one of my favorites. Um, At that time in the 90s, every year was a different theme. To the annuals so like 1994 was all 
um, when you first saw Elseworlds. That was the first start of that. And then 95 was all year one. And so then it explained the backstory of what we don't know about Doomsday, not as creation, but kind of what he's been doing since creation to when we find him buried in Earth. It's really cool. Yes, Un- unless you happen to like a little bit of mystery because nah. these stories just <laughs> obliterate that, but that's okay. I had a lot of fun with these stories. And, you know, like I said, last year was all about understanding what led us to the death of Superman. Now yeah. I'm curious to survey the post-death and rain landscape through adult mm-hmm. eyes. And I think it'll be, I think it'll be a, a really worthwhile endeavor. Like, like yourself, we were talking off mic. I really enjoyed reading these stories. Overall, I found them enjoyable, interesting, and in particular from a character perspective. I thought there was a lot of great character work with Clark especially. And so I enjoyed that. I guess, and not to nitpick, but you know, we're here to have a discussion. I think where where I had a little bit of difficulty, and and ultimately I, I I'm glad we have these stories, but the question I kept coming back to was in learning Doomsday's origin, in having these rematches, in mm-hmm. in sort of tracking his path from creation to uh, his emergence at the start of Death of Superman, is it sort of the law of diminishing returns at play? Are we losing a little bit by by sort of taking away that mystery? Are, you know, I guess that was sort of the question that I that I was having as I was reading it. It sounds like the, that was not something that was bugging you though, as you were going through these. It, it wasn't bugging me. I, what was bugging me when I was rereading Doomsday Wars, which we'll get to. What was bugging me was me keep going, well, I just read Hunter Prey and I know how we got rid of Doomsday and Hunter Prey. So how could they possibly have brought him back this time? So it, I think that I'll be honest. I thought they were very creative. I thought it was actually, even though you like a little more mystery, I'm glad they didn't just, they didn't go super timey-wimey on us. I mean, there's still a little zero hour stuff in there that comes into play, but I I think they were pretty creative to bring a very popular enemy back. And we also get to see, which we'll talk about soon, we get to see the legit Justice League go up against Doomsday, which we, not, sorry, no offense to like the Bloodwind fans out there and, and Booster Gold Blue Beetle, but like the first Justice League that fought Doomsday was kind of like Bush League Justice League, um, but this there's a, there's a lot to unpack. And I enjoyed a lot of this because we see kind of my, oh, I wish things that happen in these, in these miniseries. So it's kind of cool. Gotcha. Well, it's funny that you talk about the, the lesser Justice League that we got the first time around, because even Wonder Woman in the story makes a remark about that to Doomsday. Yeah. Like the, she said, I don't know what did she say? Like the weaker, a weaker team. It's like, she just throws it, like throws shade. Uh, you know, he, the B team <laughs> wasn't the real team. Exactly. So these three stories, I had never read that doomsday annual. So this was mm-hmm. the first time for me with that, but I had at least once, but probably a couple of times read Hunter Prey and the Doomsday Wars. So Hunter Prey was 1994 and then Doomsday Wars was was 98. So that was now towards the tail end of of the Jurgens tenure on the Superman books. But again, these were right. separate, they were their own miniseries, but still in continuity. And I, I you know, I guess I have more of a vivid memory of Doomsday Wars. Like, I remember buying that at the comic book store. Yeah. Hunter Prey, man, for the life of me, I, like, I remember reading it as a kid. I have a vague memory of being at the Jefferson Valley Mall in New York, being at a bookstore, but I think I might be conflating that with the Eradicator trade paperback that I that I had had a similar encounter oh, with. 
That's possible. What? What? How old would you have been in now? Ninety-five. Ninety. Well, so ninety-four. I was I mean, seven. 94. Yeah, seven. Oh yeah. See, I mean, like, and Hunter Prey. Those were some of the first, like, prestige three-parters. Like they were. I think they were like maybe six dollar cover price each one of those. So that wasn't like an easy sell. Like even to like a parent. I remember being in college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. It's going to cost me 20 bucks to get this whole thing. <laughs> like, and, and back then that was like when the, when the books were a buck or a buck 50, it's a lot, it was a lot different, but it was, I loved it for sure. And you know, as far as the format of it, I, I came across an interview that Jurgens did in 2019 on the 25th anniversary of Hunter prey with CBR. Yeah. And he was talking nice. about just about, you know, the, the background of the story and his intentions with it and, and that format. And so, you know, he talked about, wanting to do it himself and not have it be part of the triangle era books and also liking that format, liking the expanded page count and the higher production value and being able, not that it was overly gratuitous in terms of violence or anything like that, but it was able to kind of push it a little bit more and even more so than the violent side of it. I think the, like I said before, the, the character work, the introspection, the psychology that you get, I feel like it was able to go a little bit deeper than what you were getting in the regular books at the time, not to put them down, but this had a, had a deeper level to it. I felt. I would agree. Like prestige formats back then, especially late eighties, nineties, if you were to equate it to anything now, it was like the start of black label. Like it was, it was allowed to have a little more wiggle room. And I remember, I mean, newsstand copies of the regular uh, comics we're still paper, I believe, but the prestige format had the magazine pages and it was just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to pay six bucks for this. It's worth it. It's awesome. I have a whole box of not only to hunt the original Hunter Praise, but all of the Superman prestiges from early 90s through. And if you're out there, if you're at a, a con or a show or a store and you see these, pick them up. Like they are great reads and they just, they're just fun to have. And the cover art is oh so cool from, from book to book. So I, I don't know. I, I'm going to totally geek out on this episode. I love all of this and Jurgens and breeding. We'll get to them. Like they are my boys. Like I, I was like living the life reading this again. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, first of all, I, I echo what you say about the format. I sadly I've parted with all the ones that I had as a kid, but I do remember oh. them. I remember them fondly. And you know what? There's a lot that's, you know, not collected and not available digitally. I think one of the things that I was looking for recently was a one shot that I think Chuck Dixon wrote called The Odyssey that followed Clark on his travels around the world. And I remember reading that. I no longer have it. And to my knowledge, it's not available anywhere. So, yeah, it's one of those things. To your point, if you you see it at a con, pick it up. But no, I I really like the presentation. And I I think I, I recognize the or at least I like to think there is a level of integrity with, with these projects and not that it would have been lesser, so to speak, if it had been part of the monthly books. But I think that setting it apart gave it a little, a little more added weight and made it feel like this was more of a story to be told rather than an event to be sold. Yeah. And because when you think about the timing of it, like, and even if you go on the DC app and you go to their triangle era volume two page, you know, And I'm assuming they have it generally in publication order. I mean, it's like a few lines down from the start of <laughs> volume two of the right. triangle era. So this was not that long. 
after Superman came back. So they could have very easily made this the sequel rematch in the in the pages of the regular comics. But I like that they set it aside. And look, you and I and the other guests that I've had on, you know, talking about the Triangle Arab, you know, those creative teams worked wonderfully together and created this weekly adventure. But like we always say, they were always these poor these poor creators were always only yeah. writing part one, part three, part four. So to yeah. have Jurgens, one of the the chief architects who did Superman seventy five, to be able to kind of play with Doomsday yeah. in these two three issue miniseries, I think was it, it was deserved and and I think was was done to great effect. I don't. I'm trying to think back, and maybe you can remember. So they bring back Doomsday also in the two thousands in like the. Reign of Doomsday, the Return of Doomsday, and, and where, and it's it's not great, but I do believe they brought Jurgens back to do some of that stuff. They haven't really allowed anybody to play in that sandbox, except for Dan Jurgens. I think there's something special about that character that DC's been like, you know what? Let's let's have Dan touch on this. I feel that's pretty consistent. Well, it's it's interesting and. You know, there there might be another episode or so on this at some point in the future <laughs> because there is there's there is a decent amount more out there. So just yeah. real quick, Doomsday returned. So after the Doomsday Wars, you know, we'll talk about where we leave him there. Uh, you know, sure. split between transporters on the moon. We'll get there, but it's kind of cool. I like it. <laughs> I know I, I did too. Yeah. Uh, but so after that, he popped up again in the Our Worlds at War event which we've covered before during the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era, where yeah. uh, Luther and, and Manchester Black and the elite, they use Doomsday as a weapon against Imperiax, and Imperiax seemingly destroys Doomsday. Cut to Superman 175, the 100-issue anniversary of the death of Superman, and Lex has preserved, regrown Doomsday as part of the Joker's Last Laugh event, and <sighs> he, he develops sentience in this, and he's able to speak, and that ultimately proves to be his undoing. Uh, yep. You know, Superman has this whole speech about, well, if you can think, then you can feel and you can fear. And basically that that's the end of, of that iteration of Doomsday. And he ult- and Lex ultimately trades Doomsday to uh, to Darkseid. Correct. And Darkseid later creates an army of Doomsdays, which we see yes. in the Supergirl arc of Superman Batman. Correct. It gets spottier for me after that. And yeah. Wikipedia came in here a little bit and also just kind of scrolling through the app. But you had mentioned right before... The New 52, I guess, right before Flashpoint, there was the Reign of the Doomsday event that Paul Cornell wrote right after his Black Ring That's story. That's right. Yeah, it's the last trades and the last arcs before New 52 takes over. Gotcha. And then, though I recently covered the New 52, I, I didn't do crossovers, so I did skip the Doomed event, but I know they used Doomsday in the New 52. So that's one of the more recent ones. And then one thing that I did read and cover was the, the Path of Doom arc mm-hmm. uh, during the Rebirth era, the Dan Jurgens arc on Action yeah. Comics where, where they had yet another rematch. It's, it doesn't get much better, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like, after Doomsday Wars, I don't love the reiterations that they've... Because like you were saying earlier, there's only so much you can really do. And they, they tried to be more clever, but it's, it's, not, it's just not great. It's okay. Um, I think... I think Hunter Prey tops and then Doomsday Wars is a close second, like to keep him around. And then I think they should just let it be. I agree. Look, I recognize it's a tough spot, I think, for DC as a publisher and for any creator coming on, because, you know, this is an iconic character. This is a character killed Doomsday. So 
it's understandable that there would be an instinct to want to use the character. But like I said right. before, the, I just keep coming back to this law of diminishing returns where, you know, each time you use him, I feel like it's less and less effective because again, there are only, I feel like there's only so much mileage you can get out of this character and so many things you can do. And uh, like I, we talked about this last year, but it's like when you're, <laughs> you know, when your first story, you know, in, in your first story, you kill the main character. It's yeah. like, where do you go from there? Well, and they also made a really good point about in the creation of Doomsday that they now make as canon in Hunter Prey. They're saying that Doomsday learns every time he fights somebody and he evolves. So you can't even beat him the same way you did. Like, that's clever, but that also kind of paints you into a corner as a writer. Like, you're, oh gosh, like we did this last time. Now what do we do? And so I. I can totally hear what you're saying. And I think that gets really, really tough. And I think that's why it's gotten progressively worse because it's not easy to do. Now, bear with me, like two minutes here. I'm not going to make this the whole episode, but uh -oh. Smallville put a very different spin on the character by giving him a human side, human camouflage. Yeah. This paramedic Davis Bloom, who's struggling with the beast inside. This was season eight of the show. I, I have my issues and I've been vocal with my issues about the end of that season. It will forever haunt me, but Ugh. I guess I'm just curious in terms of the, the concept, I guess, maybe even more so than the execution, but the idea of human camouflage and, you know, he's, he's living a normal life and then the, the monster emerges. Do you, do you like that or, or not so much? I actually did. Like I, is that season eight? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I think I love like the first third of season eight. Okay. I think I'm like, Oh, this is a really cool way to introduce Doomsday to people that don't know Doomsday and also to us who are like, we've seen this. What else are you going to do? I think I think that was pretty creative. We're not going to get into the rabbit hole of what they chose to finish and how much we actually saw Doomsday fight Clark and all that stuff. But yeah, um, but I, I actually did like that concept. I'm also a Sam Witwer fan, like... I don't know how many there are out there, but I actually really like him quite a bit from that show and also Battlestar Galactica and Clone Wars and everything else. But so I was I was already like in his corner when I was rewatching it. So no, I hear you. We'll talk about it more down the line, another cool. another place in time. But I just bring that up because especially when we talk about adaptations, you know, Batman v Superman yeah. is another you know famous one, but it still gives us that mindless monster. You know, we arrive there a little bit differently. But Smallville again, I think really put. A different spin on it and here's my segue now back to what we're Ooh. really here to talk about you know, <laughs> yeah you know watching that season of smallville they you know you do sam whitworth fan or not although i'm with you i am a sam whitworth yeah. fan but you know you do you do care for the character they introduce him yeah. he's, he's a great guy he's this paramedic he's saving people and then he's struggling with this this monster within yeah so now bringing us back to hunter prey we get the origin of doomsday and I'm not saying that they make Doomsday a sympathetic character, but maybe a tragic one to some extent. I mean, there's the, yeah. he's the, this he's still a mindless creature, but he's the result of of you know all of these years of experimentation and 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 horror. So that I guess that's a little bit of a parallel that I see of of again and at least some element of of tragedy. I I always remember that I think it's part two of Hunter Prey where they go into the actual. This is who Doomsday really is, where he came from. There's also the really cool reveal. Like they don't quite 
let the last piece of that story come until a little later where wave riders like yeah i wasn't sure i was going to tell you this but i probably should tell you this um it is dark as hell like when you really look at the dan dan went super dark writing this creation because i guess if you are going to reverse engineer a killing machine like doomsday you kind of have to give them like a pretty rough origin like nobody just turns into this and oh my gosh we're gonna we're gonna go down the route of we create okay so we have a baby we're gonna put baby outside and then we're gonna let it get killed and torn apart and then we're gonna take the dna and make another one and then do it again and we're gonna do it over the course of 30 years i think that's how long it was that the experiment lasts and i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm stealing your thunder but like this is I'm, I was rereading it going like, damn, Dan Jurgens, Like, because just the idea of you're cloning this creature over and over again, and it's retaining the death of getting torn apart in the wilderness by creatures that are terrible. But the, the karma factor of all of that, how it comes back is just, again, also super dark. And we've never really seen that kind of dark writing from Dan Jurgens. Like Doomsday itself was hard, but it's incredible. Yeah. And well, again, maybe that's, that's an instance of being, you know, outside the regular books and having this format to play mm -hmm. around and that, you know, he was able to go there, but yeah, I mean, so, Oh, one thing I want to say is nice. I don't want to forget because this came up, I, it came up when I was reading it and then it was reinforced when I read that interview with Jurgens. So when wave rider shows Superman Doomsday, how Doomsday came to be, there are these scientists right out in this very harsh environment, like you said, and yeah. they are being led by this alien from another planet, Bertrand yes. or Bertron. I'm going to go with Bertrand because I feel yeah. like that's more badass. So Bertrand yeah. here is the ringleader <laughs> and we never find out where Bertrand came from, what his right. home planet is, which I think is an interesting little dangling thread. But beyond that, Bertrand makes this point of, at the beginning, he mentions that they're starting with this infant and he says he's not a native to your world. Right. And I said to myself, oh, huh. does this ever get resolved? And it didn't within the stories yeah. we read. I didn't remember anything else from any, from, you know, from other stories I had read, but I went to Wikipedia and I think Wikipedia let me down because reading that entry, it was written to make it sound like the the infant they started with had been genetically engineered. And that was not my understanding. It seemed like they were starting with a natural born infant. And then I thought so after the baby died, then yeah. they were regrowing him. Yeah. And so I said, Oh, did I misunderstand that? And that was kind of the end of it. And then I read that interview and they brought that up with Jurgens, And he said like, yeah, like that's sort of, you know, still out there. I mean, he didn't, yeah. he didn't give any hints as to where he might go with that. But my understanding after that interview is that, yeah, that was, a baby from another world that has yeah. never been identified, which again, very, I feel like there might be a little potential here to do a little something. Right. Um, like what, what, who were those parents who, where did that, what, what's the origin world of that? I, I did think that was kind of smart though. Cause now that when we find out that this is from Kryptonian scientists and Kryptonian science, and we're looking at the still still part of the John Byrne run of what Krypton looked like, that they were they were grown, they were a scientific um, community and planet, and that's why Cal is so different because Jor-El and Lara made him, 
you know, they actually had the baby. Um, so when, when I first read it and even the second reread, I did go, Oh, it's a baby that was made on Krypton because I, cause we find out that it's all Kryptonian, but it's, that's an interesting loophole that you're bringing up to that Dan says too, is like, Hey, you never know that I would love to see that. That would be a cool way to bring that back. I mean, I know I've been going on about like, like leave doomsday alone, but I don't know. That might be, that might be a, a fun, <laughs> a fun wrinkle to explore. So going back to the beginning of, of, of the hunter prey miniseries, this 1994 mm-hmm. storyline, you know, we begin with Clark having this nightmare, right? He's a kid. There's a monster in the basement. He's scared. Yep. And when he finally goes down to face it, it's doomsday. And then adult Clark wakes up in a, in a cold sweat. It's very, you know, it's funny. It's very, very wholesome and very chaste. Like he and Lois are engaged at this point. She knows yeah. his identity, but they're still living and sleeping separately. He has to put yeah. on his costume and fly over to talk to her. But <laughs> it was, and we, we I'm not, I mean, I will kind of go, I think we should go in order, but I just want to jump to Doomsday Wars for a second because Jurgens employs a similar devo- device there where each issue yeah. and throughout the issues, you know, we get the story of young Clark and Pete and Lana on the farm during this, during and after this terrible blizzard that results in the death of the Kent uh, cattle. And it's yeah. a very rough time for, for the family. So that was one of the things that, you know, I don't know you that you would have seen that in the regular monthly books or certainly not to the no. extent that we got here. So I appreciate that. And that's the thing. My, whatever misgivings I may have about giving Doomsday an origin and giving him this particular origin, and I'll share what, I, what those misgivings are, but uh, that aside, the, the, the emotional hook of this story that Clark died and came back and he's haunted by the yeah. thing that killed him and he's afraid because he doesn't know if Doomsday's still out there. He knows that cyborg Superman hurled Doomsday him. into space yeah. uh, on that asteroid. Uh, which again goes to show how long Jurgens had been setting this up, right? Because that happened very early on in Reign of the Superman. So he knows the body is out there. You know, he, Clark came back. Maybe Doomsday did too. Maybe there are more like him. Maybe someone finds him and recreates him. It's these are valid fears, fears to have. And I really, really appreciated that Jurgens took Clark to that place. Um, as I was so like, I know I like how you said like it's it, it isn't cheesy, but it's it it's uh. The nightmare thing actually was one of my favorite parts of the of that whole run. Hunter Prey to me either like screams we should do an animated rendition of this, or I wish and hope sometime down the road that there is some sort of HBO Max ability where they start doing projects like this where listen, we're gonna hire somebody who's gonna be the HBO Max Superman. And he's going to do a series, kind of like they're doing Green Lantern Corps. Like, I'm sure we're going to have, that's who Jon Stewart is. Whether they do it in movies or not, but man, like, Hunter Prey really tracks like a movie. The way it, the way it's broken down into acts, the way it's even set up, that nightmare. Like, he's trying to cure the nightmare. The nightmare, he wants to wake up from that dream with a different ending. And... Oh man, like I had an asterisk like this is awesome in my notes. And I just, I don't, rem- I mean, I think we've, you and I've always talked about that, how we love these little nuances that are like outside the story, but they add so much to it, whether it's narration or this little aside, like, yeah, Superman gets scared too. Like, this is important for us to know. Well, you know, yes, I, I agree totally. And I remember when you and I were talking about the death of Superman last year. 
and and that idea of fear, you know, it was the issue of Justice League that was part of the death of Superman, where Superman was being interviewed by Cat Grant. And she had asked him, oh, do you ever get scared? And he was like, yeah, sometimes I do. And I, you know, I appreciated that they at least threw that in there. Right. But it wasn't something that had sort of been seeded throughout leading up to the story. You know, it was kind of yeah. put in there and it gave you a little bit of a sense of where his head was. But, you know, for the rest of that story, you just didn't have the real estate to mine the psychology, <laughs> like what right. he was going through in the moment. So, yeah, to be able to take the time now, uh, I think was such a great choice. And look, we always try on the show to knock down the ridiculous arguments against Superman, like he's not relatable. I think this is a perfect example. See, he something like this relatable. is a beautiful example of yeah. how the character can be larger than life. He died and came back to life, right? Yeah. But he's also this scared little boy in his dream who doesn't want to go into the basement to face the monster. So, I mean, like that's, when you talk about relatability, it's like we all have something, whatever it is, well, that, that, that a, keeps us up. It's such a very human characteristic. Like, okay, let's compare. So Doomsday is the one thing that could kill Superman. Let's, or did kill Superman. Let's think about something that is in our world. So let's think, let's say you're suffering from cancer. You're cured and you go into remission, but guaranteed Patients that go into remission are always fearing, will it come back? And that's an exact representation of what he's thinking about. Like, I know, I know I'm alive. I know he's out in space on an asteroid, but I really don't know. Maybe he will come back. So that's a very human trait for him to be vulnerable enough to show and talk to Lois about. Because again, they're going to get married. They got to be talking about this kind of stuff. And it, it put a totally different spin on the fight with Doomsday than we had the first time. Yeah. You know, the first time, you know, it takes, understandably, it takes Clark a, a while. It's pretty deep yeah. into the story before he realizes, okay, this this could be the end. Like, I right. might be able to stop him, but that might be the last thing I do. Yeah. Here, though, he he knows the fate that's likely to befall him. So when he yeah. goes into battle, there's, it, it's everything he's doing is colored by that. And I think, right. and here's where I, <clears throat> I give Jurgen so much credit because, you know, we could have just had the nightmare bookends, right? But mm -hmm. there were instances throughout that really reinforced it. Like when Desaad transports Doomsday away via boom tube oh. and Clark is racing to try to catch Doomsday and he can't get yeah. there in time. And then he asks himself, did I, did I let him go? Like, did I purposely did I slow, slow down? down? Yeah, that was a cool moment. Like, we all ask ourselves that, like, what, did I? It's like the fight or flight, right? You know, we all we talk about that. Did I mean to do that? Did I want to do that? You know, oh, again, I'm not I'm not trying to just like gush love over this miniseries, but but listeners, if you haven't read this yet and you're clearly a fan of Superman, you, this is something you need to dig into. And it it is there's so much new material, I think if you haven't read this, that you will just kind of be in awe of like, wow, there's some stuff out there. Just the fact that Darkseid is scared of Doomsday. And we see that in Hunter Prey and we see it then eventually in um, the annual when we like, he sees one of his best friends get mutilated and you see Darkseid's eyes get wide. That was an awesome moment rereading that. I was like, holy crap, Darkseid's scared. This is, this is incredible. Well, hold that thought. We'll talk more about that right after this commercial break. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Looking for even more Superman talk? 
If you enjoy digging for kryptonite, and I hope you do, be sure to check out my new series, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. It's a rewatch podcast covering the classic George Reeves television show from the 50s. You know from this podcast that I fell in love with Adventures of Superman and George's tough but charming take on The Man of Steel. Now, I get to explore that show episode by episode on my new rewatch podcast. Many of your favorite guests from this show are also popping up on the new series, and I hope you'll join us too. New episodes of another exciting episode drop every other Monday, and of course, Digging for Kryptonite continues weekly every Tuesday. Find another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman on your podcast platform of choice, and be sure to subscribe right away. Adventures await. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AllYeahComics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Aw, yeah. And we're back. So you're talking about dark side being scared. So yeah, let's talk about the dark side piece of this. So we discussed how Clark is having these nightmares. He goes to Lois. He's like, I got to find out what, what happened to Doomsday if he's still out there. I have to, I have to right. face this nightmare. Uh, and simultaneously, uh, Doomsday has been found in space by these you know, interstellar scavengers who are going to bring the, the, the ore from the asteroid to Apocalypse to sell or yeah. something like that. 
but Doomsday wakes up and, of course, annihilates everyone on the ship. And then yeah. when he arrives on Apocalypse, begins a rampage there. And well, we haven't even talked about this yet. We also get the return of Cyborg Superman, or just Cyborg at this point. Yeah, right. Uh, who had, and we find out now why he had hurled Doomsday into space. He had planted this little device on him. That would allow him to, I don't know, reconstitute his consciousness yeah. at some point. The plan, if, if he ever plan B. It. Plan yeah, B. He, yeah. So Cyborg emerges, and I had told, man, I had totally forgotten this. It is, it is kind of cool. So Doomsday, you know, kills one of the apocalypse soldiers. He's got the, you know, the spike through his head, yes. right? And then that's the or, the organic and inorganic material that Cyborg uses yeah. to, to, to create a new form for himself. And that gives yeah. us that red and black and long-haired look, which, you know, the, well, I guess... Yeah, I guess it makes sense. You know, he always wants to be Well, there's that really cool armor. Remember, too, like on Apocalypse, right before that guy gets offed by Doomsday, he's talking about how awesome his exo armor and how strong the exo armor is to fight anything. So, of course, that'd be a pretty good idea for Cyborg to morph with that armor and organic material. I loved it. I love it. I That costume or that look has never been my favorite. I don't hate it. But I oh, do I prefer I prefer him as a cyborg Superman, or I do like the more recent costume he had when he was primarily a Green Lantern antagonist. Oh yeah, okay. Because that sort of you know was its own thing, but still had the you know the foundation of a Superman costume, but yeah. uniform. I always say costume, but you know what I mean. So, <laughs> so you know we get the the return of Cyborg here. You know, I guess Cyborg kind of falls into the same category for me as Doomsday, although I'm a little bit more forgiving of of Cyborg, I think, because there's I I do think there is more you can explore there. Uh, You know, this is a character who keeps coming back and we'll get to him again in an upcoming episode in this event. He I know he popped up again during the the trial of Superman. Uh, Was his return here welcome for you? Like, oh, yeah, Cyborg's back or Um, I don't know. I. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't welcome. I think it was like a distraction. I was kind of like, ah, oh, enough, enough of this crap. I don't, okay, so get out of the way. I want, like, let's get back to the doomsday stuff. That's how I was kind of approaching it a little bit. Um, but again, Cyborg, Cyborg Superman is one of my favorite, like, iterations and characters. If I see anything merchandise for him, I'm always going to pick it up. It's just, um, I think it was a really, really cool character. I think Hank, I do feel empathy, uh, not empathy, sympathy for Hank Henshaw because he's basically just an unstable human who is broken. Like he broke because of what happened to him and his wife and his friends. And, and he's he's just not there. He's a psychopath now. But um, I, I, I love his character. And I'd like, I actually would kind of like to see that character come back somehow. I don't know how. Well, his consciousness can't be destroyed, so there's there's always a way. Yeah. But the, the, one of the things that was most interesting to me, I, I agree. I think he, you know, he didn't have a large part to play in this. Right. You know, Doomsday's rampaging, fighting Darkseid, which we'll get back to in a second. And meanwhile, Cyborg is, is attempting to take over Apocalypse. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the coup de grace is, is killing the food supplies. And... Ultimately, you know, we do get the rematch with, you know, Superman and Cyborg, but ultimately it's Darkseid who obliterates Cyborg via Omega right. Beam. Of course, we find out later that that uh, Darkseid has 
capture the consciousness, in right, that, to potentially yeah. use in the future. But it, it appears to Superman that Darkseid has killed Cyborg. And what, what struck me was Superman's like, oh, like, how could you kill him? Like, when I destroyed him in Coast City, I knew his consciousness would return. Now, you and I talked about this, about how that did not seem to be the case. So I went back to Superman 82. <laughs> I went back to the big climax of Reign of the yeah. Superman when we have the showdown where Superman punches a hole. Punches her. It doesn't even vibrate. <laughs> and he vibrates and cyborg explodes. So in fairness, I think we were we were kind of right and kind of wrong. Because rereading yeah. it, he does he does say that like Henshaw like his consciousness has the ability to survive. Yeah. So based on that, it it appears that maybe his intent wasn't truly to kill. However, in that same scene, Green Lantern goes, Oh, I just scanned this whole place that there's no trace of him. And Superman like doesn't miss a beat. He just goes, Oh, well, I guess he's dead then. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. It's it like, it was very Willy Wonka. Like, Oh, so sad. Okay. Bye. Like, <laughs> yeah. So even if the, even if the intent wasn't there at the moment of, of, you know, vibrating that fist, he definitely yes. wasn't sad at the prospect that he had actually killed him. So I think, again, I think we were, you know, we, we weren't totally on the mark, but we were pretty close. <laughs> right. So before we move on a little further, there's something I really loved about, and it's kind of a little bit foreshadowing to what we're going to learn about in the annuals. But when Doomsday, like, hitches a ride into the stowaway off the asteroid onto the ship to pop, like, everybody, like, when they, when he, when he comes on the ship and they turn the asteroid around, they recognize who Doomsday is. And I think that's what's very different. Like when we, we as Earthlings experience Doomsday for the first time, it's just like, we thought he just was new. He came out of the ground and now he starts destroying things. But the rest of the universe already knows that, what did they say? The Armageddon creature? The Armageddon creature. His reputation precedes him. Yeah. I loved all of that because we don't know what's coming in the annual. So it's like, wait, why and and dark side i think the first thing that dark side says is yeah we're gonna need to evacuate and i was like wait what the hell dark side says we're evacuating the apocalypse so how does everybody know who doomsday is that's that's what i was like okay somebody better answer that question soon and then we get the doomsday annuals yeah that's the thing i mean you get a, uh, obviously a, a decent piece of it in hunter prey but yeah more so in the annual where you get to see doomsday's interstellar travels before yeah. uh you know before he lands on earth and yeah the dark side piece of it is interesting and I, I guess i wasn't aware of this but a bit controversial at at how easily seemingly easily the you know dark side is defeated you know dark side like you said he you know almost instantly right talks about evacuation so it's like okay like this seems odd for for, for dark side of all people and then when they finally face off dark side uses the omega beams and for a second it seems like okay maybe this worked but of course it didn't and doomsday attacks no. attacks him from behind and like takes him out yeah like slashes blood out of his back and i was like what is happening because we all know dark side is like the baddest of the bad he's un we're talking about the new gods like nobody can defeat this guy what's funny so so two things one with with the depiction of dark side well you know funny to think about it i think this was probably this was probably my first encounter with dark side um, and the new guys as a kid yeah. yeah yep or at least one of the very earliest but i think probably the first so so there's oh that. i would 
Yeah, I would say that's probably valid for me too, actually, even because I didn't really start. I mean, I, I read in the early 80s, but mostly Superman books. And there wasn't a lot of dark side, even in the, like, as you read, there wasn't a ton in the burn stuff. There was some, but I was reading a lot of like DC Comics Presents here and there and some Supermans. But then this was probably the earliest dark side. I'm like, oh, who's all these people? Like, it, it was kind of cool to me. Yeah, man, for sure. And what's I guess what's funny is that I feel like in more recent incarnations, Darkseid, you know, he's obviously still the ruler of Apocalypse and all of that, but has really been depicted more as this embodiment of evil. Whereas yeah. here and, and in other earlier stories, you know, he really is this 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 alien monarch and you know when we get to the annual for example and that's hundreds of thousands of years in the past but still i love that yeah. he's he's you know about to embark on this arranged marriage yeah yes to create this strategic alliance and it's it's not a context that i typically associate with dark side right. so it's right. interesting and, and i guess in that context the fact that maybe he's more easily you know defeated tracks a little bit more but i think you know like you were saying i, I think ultimately what it comes down to and jerkins himself talked about this in the interview Show, don't tell, right? So it's one thing for us to hear about how powerful yeah. Doomsday is. And yes, we've seen him take out the, you know, the ground troops and everything. But yeah. if he's able to go toe-to-toe with Darkseid, well, that shows you exactly what power level. But in that interview, they talked about, I guess, the backlash at the time. I mean, again, this was all new to me. But yeah, I guess maybe that aspect of it wasn't particularly well-received. Well, and there were some things in here that I, I could be very wrong about this. I... I swear, didn't Darkseid call Steppenwolf uncle? And I thought... Oh, was that step? Maybe. I forget. And Yeah, because in that... And I, I was very taken aback by this, too. I'm going to try to find it really fast. Because I don't really know about all that connections here, too. And I see him, him with Steppenwolf as his best friend. Yeah, he calls him uncle. That's crazy. So... It's very interesting, like knowing that, well, like how we view Steppenwolf and like the Zack Snyder stuff and that kind of stuff, too. It's like, huh, like that's just an interesting thing. And also how old Darkseid is. Like, what, what did I say, 145,000 years ago or something like that? Yeah. It's like, wait, what's going on? Like, this is quite a long time. So I love that. I loved all of that little, all those little like Easter eggs. Totally. Now, before the Clark and, and Darkseid stories intersect, Right. You know, Clark goes, or Superman goes to the linear men for help. Are, you're not, yeah, I know you're not, you're not a, you're not a fan. I love the linear men. I, I, I love, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> I love the concept of, and like, I love how they write them. They infuriate me because they're, they're such hypocrites. And, and some of it doesn't track. I don't understand how they don't understand. Like if they're linear and they say they know the future, I don't understand how things work. <laughs> It doesn't work in my brain. So we'll talk about that. No, fair enough. I, you know, I, I think since they were there for the, from the beginning for me, I think that's yeah. where the attachment comes in. Absent that, I don't know yeah. how much I would really gravitate towards those characters, but I, right. I, I did, I did enjoy Superman's frustration towards Wave Rider and, and Matt yes. Rider over their unwillingness to to help to interfere now of course wave rider will later have a change of heart and even before that he throws in the word apocalypse which superman right. initially thinks to mean in the 
biblical sense, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, a pun. Like yeah, yeah. But when he then turns to the Justice League for help, and they get yes. this distress call from Desaad, he realizes, oh, I think Wave Rider was giving me a message, and I should go to Apocalypse now. As I'm reading this, I say to myself, <laughs> does anyone have um, like a bigger pair of balls than Desaad? You're asking yeah. the Justice League for help? Yeah. <laughs> Like, like and like on. I don't know everything we know about Darkseid and all of the apocalypse. Like, if if he learned that Desaad is like Mayday, Mayday, Justice League, oh, I feel like he'd be like fed to any creature on Apocalypse if if Darkseid learned about this. Yeah, it was crazy to me. I, again, I guess it goes to show just how dire the circumstances mm-hmm. are. But if, if to see Apocalypse begging for help was yeah. was definitely unusual. But, of but course, it, also, yeah. it, it makes sense, though. Like if, if Darkseid's talking about evacuation and Desaad is like worried, like, why is my master so scared? I got to do anything we can to help. I can see what he's doing. But it was interesting to me. Um, it's also an iteration of the Justice League that I'm not like this time frame of the Justice League of America is not my favorite either, because this is also we've got, I think, Maxima is still there. So we see Maxima. Oberon, we have a little bit of Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. I feel like this also has Fire and Ice still, maybe Guy Gardner still, but it just, it's not my favorite. So the Maxima stuff was kind of cool, like that interaction. But then, how, okay, I did make a note like Superman refuses help. So Maxima offers, like, I'll go with you. And he's like, no. Something I do by myself, and I was like, "Why? Why would he not? If he if he's having nightmares and he's worried about this, and he knows the outcome, why wouldn't he say, yeah, come along, please?'" That's a very good and valid question, and I think that we can make an argument that you know he because he knows how dangerous it is, right? He doesn't want to put anyone else right at risk. However, it's like you got to be strategic about what you're doing, so yeah you know, maybe there's a way to try to figure out how to have some backup, but in a way yeah. where it's just sort of, you know, uh, you know, all hands on deck situation, only if absolutely necessary, something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think this needed to be a solo mission, but yeah, his reasoning for it was a little, although again, now in fairness, he's been down this road before he's mm-hmm. seen what dark side, what doomsday can do to this exact ver- version of the justice league. So oh. I, well, that's true. My, I guess my other question, and we talked about this when we talked about death, like the whole death series itself, is you're all at the funeral, but where were you during the battle? Right. So what did we like lose their phone numbers like at this point? So like why at this point when he knows Doomsday might be back, why did you say, hey, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, how about you guys meet me on Apocalypse? <laughs> like that, that's where I... Of course, it makes sense for the arc of the story that it's a Superman story, but we got other heroes that could help, so why not? We see it in Doomsday Wars. True. You know, maybe this is an instance of, I don't know, like pride's not the right word, but I mean, maybe this is an instance of his fallibility. I mean, you know, I think the wise choice would be to bring in reinforcements, but he's like, I have to do this myself. So it's not really rational, but I think- Again, talking about the relatability and everything, I, I do think it tracks with his state of mind and this this fear, and it's like he like he needs to conquer this himself, and maybe yeah, he doesn't feel he'll be able to. 
if he has his reinforcements. Or, I mean, who's the one who's who's offering help? Maxima. He's probably like, oh god, this one, like she's gonna want to marry me again. Like it's a whole thing. Yeah. He's probably like, ah, oh, it's like too much. <laughs> it's more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> yeah, I, it, yeah, that is interesting. I, I I don't think of it that way too. I mean, it's his nightmare. It's not so. Maybe he's thinking I have to conquer this nightmare. Maybe too. I mean, now I'm really like oh, psychoanalyzing this guy. Right. But, but he's. <laughs> but maybe too. Maybe it would be different if they knew Doomsday was on a collision course with Earth. Oh, that's true. But it's yeah. like he's going out, and when he shows up, this is even before he gets the message from Desad, right? Right. So you know, when he shows up, like he doesn't know what, if any, threat there is. Like he's just going out in search of this. So I really feel like he's on a solo quest here. You know, and that reminds me, and I, I you, you can look at too. That was one of my favorite pages when he's talking to Desaad, and Desaad is showing what apocalypse is happening, and then he sees Doomsday for the first time, and like the panels of like you see the look in his eyes and like the dread on Superman's face. Like if you really think about it, we don't see that. Like we don't really see dread on his face in comics. It's more of strength and courage and I'll take care of you or maybe sadness or grief, but like we don't see fear. So I, I got to that point. I was like, Oh, this is cool. I forgot about this. So I, I made a, I made a note of that too. So what, how did you, did you remember that? Did you like, did you pause? Yeah. I mean, that definitely, that definitely struck me and Look, I'll I'll argue against myself here. I think this is an argument for the continued utilization of Doomsday because yeah. who else can conjure that sort of reaction from Superman? Because any yeah. other threat he goes up against, new or old, he's not really fearing death. Whereas yeah. with Doomsday, he's been down that road. He knows what that possibility is. So, yeah, no, I mean, that definitely registered. Like I said, the 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 fear that you see in this character throughout the story and, and he, how yeah. he ultimately overcomes it, right? It's not something that he succumbs to right. and he's defeated. You know, he's able to to rise above it. And of course he ends up with, with you know, this incredible hunter prey battle armor. So there's so much stuff, Which so I much love. fun stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, it, the fact that he has his fear and he works his way through, but yeah, when he, like you, that's the thing between the words and in particular the art in that scene, like you feel what he's feeling when he sees Doomsday on that screen. And and I did, you know, to ask about my reaction, like I did take a step back and think about what that would feel like for him. Yeah. Like given the yeah. tra this unbelievable trauma that he went through. Right. And again, like when he's going out in search of, of answers, he's not expecting this necessarily. No. Right. So to, I don't know, I guess the thing that I kept thinking of was like, oh my, like you gave it, like you gave your life for for nothing. Now it's not for nothing. He stopped Doomsday right. for a time and he saved the city. But it's like to have made that sort of sacrifice and then to have to potentially do make it again. Like, yeah, amazing. Like he thought he thought there was a period at the end of the sentence, and it was more like a dot dot dot, which is really frightening. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of like this side because again, we don't we want to be able to relate. Like you said earlier. Oh, Superman is not relatable. No, like we're fine. We're finally getting the chance to see like him be one of us. And what would it look like? It was like mental kryptonite. Yeah. You know, like we, we see so much of the things that can physically hurt him. We don't get a whole lot of mental and he's, you know, later 
in Doomsday Wars, where she's, we're, we're seeing him deal with um, Cat Grant's son, which we'll talk about soon. But that's another form of like, he doesn't have many failures in his life, but like death could be a failure. If you think about it, he was, he's afraid to die again and leave people without safety or help. But yeah, like I, I really resonated and tracked with what Jurgens was trying to do with like, okay, let's see a different side of Superman. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And well, real quick, let me ask, how did you feel about Superman? Not just, not leaving Darkseid to die, but but actively saving him via Mother Box and and sort of carrying him to safety when he finds when he finds Darkseid lying there. I mean, look, he's Superman. Of course, he's not going to leave him to die. But exactly. I, but exactly. I was like, oh man, buddy, like just like you had you, you had an out. Yeah, <laughs> nobody would have faulted you. That's <laughs> why like you don't have but, to save him. But he's Superman. He's Superman. That, uh, look, I'm gonna the... qu- I'm gonna quote Smallville for a second. Always go back. Always hold on to Smallville. Damn it. That's right. That's right, baby. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, there's a there's a moment in the you know that episode we've talked about previously, Nemesis, where Lex and Clark are in the mines. Before Clark goes in, Chloe says to him, "She's like, ah, you don't get to choose who you save. Not when you're Clark Kent. It's like that's the thing. He, you know, it's it's yeah. who he is. It's who he is. I can respect that. Yeah. But for a second there, I'm like, oh man, you had your out." Yeah, it's nice for us to go like, what are you thinking? And then, but we know, we wait to go, oh, that's right. We're reading this because he's the best of us. But, but, yeah. and he, like credit to Jurgens, uh, you know, yeah. he has Clark go through the same thought process. Oh, yeah. Like, should I just leave him here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of cool. There's, there's been some writers lately, actually, and I think, I forget who did it. There's been these tales of the dark multiverse stories that have been come out recently um, and they kind of reanalyze and reimagine some stories. There was a neat one. I think it was War of the Gods where Darkseid and Wonder Woman have a relationship. It's it's very interesting and it's a cool like look at what we don't see that Darkseid feels because he has to be Darkseid. It's very. It was very interesting. You should check it out. Oh, that calls um, to mind uh, Super Friends, where he was obsessed with Wonder Woman and tried to force her into oh, marriage. Oh, I, I. You know what? I didn't go down that. I didn't go down that door. That that hallway, like you did. Um, I tried watching a few Super Friends after that episode, and uh, it was. Uh, I, I wasn't forced to do that for a podcast, so I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, I watched Super a Friends. few. I was like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> So, so we find out through Desaad that Doomsday has been boom tubed away to this planet called Calatan, yes. which is the one place yeah. where, well, second place right. <laughs> after Earth, where Doomsday had been defeated previously. And, and you know, before Superman takes off, I think it is right. before, right, that he gets the download of the, of the origin. Yeah, Wave Rider shares everything with him, right. Except yeah. the the planet where where doomsday was the, the, except for the one important part. But yeah. to your point, like we will get that later in the final battle in Hunter Prey, we do yeah. get this final piece of the puzzle that Doomsday was created on Krypton. Now again, we've talked right. about sort of the mechanics of Doomsday's creation earlier right. in this episode, but again, going back to my potential misgivings with this, I, well, first I'll say this: I, as much as part of me thinks it would be really cool if doomsday's origins remained a mystery and i do think there's something to be said for that however in the nate just due to the nature of of comics and publishing and all these adaptations that would never hold so at some point the story would be told and i do think it's fitting that jurgens was the one who was able to do it 
And again, I think he did do it with with integrity. And and so if we have to get an origin, this idea of this forced uh, evolution through these horrific genetic experiments, I think that's a very compelling take. And it does imbue the character with, like I said before, like some element of tragedy. You're not sympathizing or empathizing, but at the same time, it's I guess you understand like where the character is coming from why his only directive is survive and kill and destroy the fact that all of that all of those deaths and rebirths they say like those memories are now part of his genetic makeup yeah right so I think it's that's not even so much of a of a misgiving I I think you know it it certainly works as an origin story and if we have like if we have to have one I don't know what would really necessarily be better per se I, I would agree. I mean, I mean, you talk about like in social work and psychology and you know, things like if if you find a, a criminal or somebody struggling with like severe like psychosis or psychopath, there's always you could you could track it back to something, some sort of abuse. There's a story behind that. I actually, the more we talk about it, the more I need a story because I don't think like. We need to explain why this creature exists, and as in its existence, it kills. Like it, we don't find a lot of that in comics, where like, oh, it's just a bad guy because it's bad. Like that's not a thing. There's a reason. So I mean, and that goes with people, and it goes with Doomsday, I guess too. I'd rather go. Oh, that's a messed up story. That makes sense. I mean. Yeah, he should kill everything. <laughs> like, like, like that. What that tracks now for me for some reason. So, and I, I'm coming around on this because <laughs> I'm not a geneticist, <laughs> you know. So I don't know if the science really tracks here. But right, at least on paper in this comic book world, it made sense. Like it was a a reasonable explanation for how powerful this creature is and how adaptable the creature is. And you know that was something that I think you saw even more in this story was how anytime something would, you know, like would wound him and then it would seal right up. And they talked about how he's like solid inside. Like there's even minimal, you know, liquid in in his body. Like he's a solid mass. Well, yeah, I think in doomsday wars, even when the justice league is fighting, there's some really cool things there where like, I I feel like there was a sonic thing or a sound and his ears like closed up and like all different defenses that he just does. And I was like, what is happening? So it was, it was cool. I think that's actually Hunter prey. Cause I think that's one of the is weapons. That maybe that he part has three. Oh, the, the Sonic. Yeah. Let's see how you do with Sonics. And then it's like junk and his ears yeah. close up. Yeah. Like, yeah. so I think the story really did a great job of showing that. So now I guess going yeah. to my other misgiving, which probably <laughs> won't be a misgiving by the time we're done having this conversation is <laughs> that Krypton is his planet of origin. Right. And I guess why maybe it's a misgiving is just, I think there's something we well we talked about this. There's something very pure about the fact that Superman is killed by Doomsday, this creature that arrives out of nowhere and is just this destructive force. Um, you know, we talked about how it would have felt cheapened, right, if it had been a plot by Luther or Brainiac or something like that. Like right. they got one over on him. But it was this force of nature. And I guess yeah. that still holds true. I mean, this origin doesn't undermine that, but the fact that Doomsday specifically sought Superman out right? because he's Kryptonian. I feel like, I don't know, it it sort of undermines a little bit of that force of nature out of nowhere bit. Yeah, I mean, why was he going? I mean, I think when he came out of Earth, 
like when he was buried and came out, he was just on a rampage because he's like, I'm a destructive force. We see it over 150,000 years he's been doing this. So it's just a new place where he gets to kill a deer and squeeze a bird. I mean, it's like, I think then all of a sudden it was when he sees Superman. Like, did you remind me if you read Injustice yet? I have not read. read I've only still watched the movie. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. Um, So there's a point where I I, I think Joker uses like a scarecrow gas on Superman to make him think Lois is is doomsday. So he like takes up to space and ultimately is killing Lois. Like when, when Wave Rider goes into Doomsday's head and sees that Doomsday sees Superman, but is instead of seeing Superman sees Bertrand. So like, yeah, that it, same rules apply. Like, Oh my gosh, this guy is disgusting. He destroyed me. Like he killed me for 30 years over and over again. I'm angry. So like, again, we don't want to sympathize with Doomsday, but now you kind of go, Oh, all right. That makes sense. <laughs> like, and that's an important thing for Clark to know. Like he's not just coming after you because he hates you. There's a, there's, eons of him hating you because he thinks you're his creator. Yes. I loved, I liked that a lot. Actually. I thought it was cool. No, I hear you. I I guess the, the one other thing that I I, I'm bumping up against is, you know, I don't, you know, right. One of the arguments against Superman in the, in the fictional world is that he brings these threats to earth, right? You know, enemies are attacking because they're trying to get right. to him and, you know, and elements of Krypton are, you know, are, are at play because of him. And so I guess there, there was something again that I, I liked about the fact that this wasn't his quote unquote fault. Yeah. And I'm not saying that now, Oh, it is his fault, but there was, I like that idea that this was just something that happened and it's coincidence. It really is coincidence because all those thousands of years ago, they didn't know he was going to be there. They True. Just, it kind of bothered me a little bit. It's like, why you got to like, just sh- like, why are you shooting your garbage? You kill doomsday with the, with the radiant, you wrap them up in your stuff. Could you bury him on your own planet? Like why you got to shoot him off? And now it's earth's problem. <laughs> I know. I know. No, that was, that was frustrating, but you know, so I, so again, I guess I just like that idea that this wasn't a Kryptonian problem that followed yes. him to earth. Yeah, exactly right. Because that's happens in Man of Steel. That happens in a lot of reiterations of like, even in the animated series, when Apocalypse comes, like that kind of stuff too. Exactly. At the same time, once we are getting an origin for Doomsday, and I do think that this is an effective one, it like it has to be Krypton. Otherwise, yeah, it doesn't really pack a punch. Like I recognize that it. You know, once you set this up, and I do. You know, Jurgens could have given us the piece about Krypton at that point, but he held it for the third part, and it and which is I, good. And it was it's a, good writing. It was a great reveal, and and you know, yeah. look now we knew where it was going, but to be reading it at the time, I mean, I don't know how obvious that was to people. Maybe they figured they were going to go there, but maybe not. I think there were at least some who were surprised reading it the first time. I was. I'll be honest. I when when I first read it, I remember just going like, "Oh, that's crazy!" Like a scientist and a group of scientists on a planet did this, and then it's the dun dun dun. And then, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's Krypton. I, I I thought that was cool. I thought that was a good writing tro- like trope that we use. Like, oh good, we we saved it where it it's we, it shocks the listener instead of just let's tell him everything now and then it's done. 
Yeah, I you know it works, and it, you know it's this very interesting blend. I got again tip my hat to Jurgens because it's it feels both. There's that element of surprise, but it's also kind of inevitable. Like I said, it's like yeah. I feel like it for this to have any weight, like it has to be Krypton. So, it has to, yeah. uh, and and I do think that this choice here, you know, maybe other adaptations would have landed on a Kryptonian origin either way. But I think, you know, this sort of set the stage for other versions that we would get, even though they put different spins on them. But again, right. in Batman v Superman is this Kryptonian abomination going back to Smallville. It was a Kryptonian weapon and they used right. Zod and Feyora's DNA to create, you exactly know, to create right. this weapon. So, you know, regardless of how you feel about other, other takes on it, I mean, it all sort of comes from there. And I think, you know, we have gotten good mileage out of it yeah. in other areas. So, yeah, all in all, uh, I, I, I'm on board. It's not like, and, and yeah. you know what though, but like I said at the top, even if I, even if I still am like, ah, maybe he could have remained a mystery, this, this story was still worth it. And we still haven't even gotten to the most, the coolest part, right? Because he shows up on, on this Calatan planet. They have, I guess he fights Doomsday for a bit and his costume is, you know, he's not having a, a, an easy time here. No, yeah. And the mother box reconstitutes the costume. And you know what was, a, I got, again, Jurgens tied everything together nicely. Superman mentions to Wave Rider how it, what he's wearing is still technically the re, the black recovery suit, right? Which was yeah. torn to shreds in Coast City. And then yep. Matrix Supergirl used her powers to rearrange the molecules and yep. create all this additional thread and create <laughs> his costume. And that's still what he's wearing. And then Mother Box further reconstitutes that into this yeah. hunter-prey armor. Um, okay. This is going to be very conspiracy of me. Also, a little bit wonder. I'm literally sitting looking at the Hunter Prey action figure. So, a little bit in the back of my head, do you ever wonder if Kenner and DC were talking about stuff a little bit more? Like, we'd like to start uh, an action figure line. Can you start doing some stuff where we have different versions of Superman? And because I'm looking at the action figure. It is one of the most badass figures ever. Like I'm looking across all of them and that one always just sticks out. I so desperately wish it came with that sword. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> you punk. You're looking at it right now. Yeah. Okay. In the, And you're looking in the, maybe this is a good time to talk about the toys. You're looking at the carded ones. So this toy line. So I echo yeah. everything you say. I, you know, I think... You know, it's one of those things. Was it just a toy line based on this comic? Or yeah, was there right, some right. collaboration? I think there's, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if if there were. So yeah. this is Kenner's Man of Steel action figure line from 1995. Yep. Now, That's so, it's great. They ended up doing, sadly, only two series of the regular action figures. There were also deluxe figures. There were a couple yes. of uh, combo packs. And there were also some vehicles. And this line holds a very special place for me because these were the first Superman action figures that I I had and I played with. Like I played yeah. with these action figures as a kid. Now, sadly, the ones that I had are long gone, departed with either in a garage sale or at my no. comic shop. At a certain point, I remember bringing in just a box of loose action figures to the comic book store and a dollar a piece and I, I sold How them. dare you, Anthony. But, but <laughs> uh, within the past year, I went yeah. on eBay Good. And uh, I got good prices. I have to say they're not they're not that crazy. So if anyone's curious and you know you want to yeah. pick up any of these, they're re relatively affordable on eBay. They were originally the original price sticker is still on here. They were five ninety nine oh. back in the day. 
God. Remember how good that was? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, especially now with, with a, a kid who <laughs> we get toys for, it's like, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So, uh, so I did, I ended up buying not all of them, but the, the key ones. I, unfortunately, I haven't yet pulled the trigger on the Hunter Prey Doomsday 2-pack, which I know probably oh. seems like blasphemy, but I, yeah. I went with the single figures first. So uh, from the first wave, we have Power Flight Superman, which is our traditional red and blue costume, but with the long hair. And that's, you know, other than the timing, I mean, that's why, you know, we're talking about it in this episode. This was a line that really took yeah. a tremendous amount of inspiration from the death and reign of Superman. It's great. Is that the Power Flight Superman right there? This is the Power Flight Superman, so traditional Superman with the with the long uh, hair. We also have, I mean, this is probably the, the nearest and dearest to me, the the laser Superman with supercharged <laughs> laser cannon. This is the black-suited Superman. Uh, it's, it's so great. And it's got, it comes with a big gun, I think, too. Yes. Yep. It does. And then, of course, we have, well, not of course, because there are a couple of characters who never made it here. So it's not of course. Correct. You can't take anything for granted. There's no cyborg, which really makes me angry. Uh, it's so, the killer, man. So we also have Steel and Superboy. And I have, I picked up both of those. And of yeah. course, I also picked up from Wave 1. And boy, wait till we get a couple episodes deeper into this event. We, I've been talking about this for two years now. We're getting here. <laughs> Con- Kenny Braverman, baby. Conduit, Kenny Braverman. The most uh. underrated Superman villain of the nineties, maybe even all time. I know people are like, yep. what is this guy talking about? You know, what's funny. I haven't done my reading yet for those upcoming episodes. I, I might, oh. I might walk back some of this, but from what yeah. I remember, <laughs> I think he's a cool character. No, he's a cool character. There's a lot of cool backstory. And he has the spinning kryptonite attack cables. He has, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so that was wave one. So I did pick up all of those. Now, uh, on the, on the back of the card here, uh, they also advertise the the two two packs, the Superman Hunter Prey and Doomsday, and Superman mm-hmm. and Massacre, who was a villain who would come into play uh, around yeah. this time as well. I had both of those as a kid, yep. Um, but again, I have not picked those up again. And then, as far as vehicles go from this first wave, we have the Superboy cycle, the VTOL cycle. And I read on that website I sent you what that stands for, and I can't remember now. It's like vertical it's, takeoff uh, or something. It's vertical vertical takeoff and landing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did, now, uh, so at least from this, well, you sent me a picture. I know you have most, if not all of these, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. It's And they're all loose. Um, the really cool thing is uh, if you, if you dig deep into that site and they didn't, I didn't see it on there. Actually, there was a mail away that um, he, it's so hard to find, but there's a conversion coupe. Oh yeah. And I, yeah. And I think it came with the car. But it's it's Clark Kent, yeah. So it's it's Clark Kent with the ponytail, like it's so it's not long hair. He's got a ponytail, and the way the car works is you can put like uh, the cockpit slides back, so you can put Superman in the back of it and Clark Kent in the front, and then it moves, so it looks like they're transforming from one to the other, and it's it's it was a great toy. Awesome. So now moving on to wave two, which was sadly as far as we got with this line. Now, here's where it all falls apart. Yeah. So interestingly and excitingly, and I did pick this one up. This is the one I'm holding. Wave two did include a Lex Luthor. And what's interesting about it is it's a very uh, like battle ready Lex Luthor. He's <laughs> it doesn't it does not make sense whatsoever for he, this Lex Luthor. He's got all these weapons and he's got this he's like this tight black t shirt and 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 open vest and it does yes. not at all match 
the Lex, the post-crisis version and, of Lex we've been dealing with. And it's got these like spiky spear things that go on his hands, I think, too. It's weird. Yes. Now, now, as I learned recently, this was short packed. See, I, I'm yes. not up on the action figure lingo, but this was short yeah. packed. And that makes sense because I never I don't remember ever even no. seeing this. I never it was like owned one, this. It was like one per case. So there would be like three Supermans, like three of, I think, maybe like uh, the other laser one. And then they would put like one of some of them. Yeah. Like the, the street. I have the street guardian Superman too, with the black leather trench coat. Oh, that's so great. Okay. So on that note, so the rest of wave two almost entirely consisted of these variations of Superman. So there's solar right. suit, Superman, street guardian, <laughs> Superman and ultra shield Superman. And that's where look, I, I guess, especially if the first line didn't sell that well, they figure lean more into Superman. I get it, but yeah, you know, it just, it breaks my heart that we didn't get cyborg. We didn't get eradicator. We'll come back to that in a second, but yeah. or Supergirl or Supergirl. Like, you, you know, there's again, no females in the whole line. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> They started off great. I mean, having Superboy, having Steel Conduit. I mean, that's a deep. I mean, looking back, cut. it feels like a deep cut at the time. Yeah. I mean, he was prevalent in the comics, but still, yeah. you know, not not a slam dunk. So, yeah, it, it's it's so disappointing that that was the direction they ended up going. Although, you know, as I'm looking at Street Guardian Superman here, and that's off the Elseworlds. They went into the Elseworlds comic. Yes, but as I'm looking at it, so I don't own any of those variations. Uh, I feel like with a minimal paint job, you could turn this into Clark from season nine of Smallville. This could be uh, the, because we've got the black trench coat. I agree. I forgot about that. I think we just, all we have to do is, do uh, it. is paint that the, the blue shirt black and the, the, the S symbol gray and we're good yeah. to go. So do it. I might You're be, done. I might be ordering that one. I say that as if I have any ability to actually paint this myself, paint. but I could enlist somebody. Now, if you are going to go onto the hunt for some of the hard to find things in this line, I would strongly suggest you start with the Kryptonian battle suit. You and I are speaking the same language because that was literally the next thing I was going to say. So, <laughs> you know, we're talking about these vehicles, right? And there's the Superboy cycle. There's, a, there's the car for Clark. And they it's did, so great. They did the purple <sighs> Kryptonian battle suit that it's amazing that carried that carried Kal-El from the fortress to Metropolis in the yep. black recovery suit. I had it as a kid. Oh. I I can't tell you how much I wish I had held on to that. That is one of the ones that does go for a bit more on eBay. So I have not, I have not uh, investigated that fully yet. Yeah. Yeah, man. When you sent me like, Hey, can we talk about this? I was like, yes, 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 yes. I, that is, so we can blame that Kenner toy line, that Kenner toy line and the Kenner vintage star Wars toy line for my, I, I will call it a healthy addiction to the, the, the action figures that are surrounding me right now. It's ridiculous. But that, that is the first uh, real toy line I ever bought as an adult. It's like, uh, I'd like to have these figures. It was awesome. And I know recently McFarlane has brought back the superpowers line. It's a Walmart exclusive. I, you know, I don't know how likely this line is to get a revival. And I mean, I have most of them now, so I guess it doesn't matter that much, but yeah. uh, it was, you know, this one, like, you know, like yourself, but for different reasons, I mean, it really holds a special place. And I, you know, I, I think back to all the time and look, only child over here. I mean, I spent a lot of time like playing with action figures, but yeah. creating stories with them. And so I always yeah. think about, you know, what I've done with documentaries and podcasts, like it's, you know, different kinds of stories, but right. 
uh, you know, I just think back to like creating those scenarios and, uh, and everything. And it's, I, I treasure that time that I spent doing it and with those figures. So, uh, I'm so glad that I picked up the ones that I did. It's, it's a great line. I mean, even if you just look up photos of the figures, I, I think it's worthwhile. And I do have an alarm in my phone for tomorrow that I will be going to the UPS store to send you your eradicator. <laughs> so so one, listeners. Of the, one of the unreleased figures was eradicator. So like we were saying, like it, they were getting there. Like, I mean, yeah. I never saw any photos or anything about cyborg, but I would have to imagine that was at least in consideration at some point, but yeah. there was, there was this unreleased unproduced eradicator figure that then later became a toy fair mail away exclusive. Yep. Right. And yeah. you so kindly, so generously, you, you picked one up for me. I don't know, months ago at this point. Yeah. It was months ago. I was at a Comic-Con. I was like, huh, I wonder if Anthony has this. And I just took a picture and sent it to you. And you're like, yeah, no, 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 please, please, please. So no, no. <laughs> and it rush. was 10 bucks. It was 10 bucks. That was the best part about it. I was like, what? Yeah. So, so you, well, you'll be happy. Whenever it arrives, I, I, I'm excited to get it, but no, no pressure. But yeah, man, <laughs> that, that's the kind of line. And, and anyway, so tying this back to Hunter Prey. I mean, for anyone who somehow, if you never read the comic, you never saw the action figure, you never saw a photo, how do you describe the Hunter Prey outfit to someone? It's got this, like, I don't know. My brain automatically goes to, like, Trojan Warrior. It's got, like, like golden sashes and belts and things you're holding, sword holsters and all this other kind of stuff on it. I, I love it. Like, it's, a, it's just a great, and it's got, like, a, you know what it looks like too. Um, for those that just like who know who Hercules is in the Marvel universe, like the way Hercules looks, he's got like the head kind of like the headgear where his face shows, and then his hair is coming out the top. I also kind of liked it because it got rid of the long hair for a little while. I know. I was thinking about that too. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, short hair again. We're good." <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a cool look. I mean, it's very '90s. It's you know, you get the belt oh, and the yeah. pouches and and, yes. and the armor. And what's funny at first, I was like, this looks like cos- more cosmetic, like yes. it, you know. But then he starts you know pulling out the weapons, like the sword and the sonic yeah. blast. I'm like, all right, I I get on board with this. And this was it again, looks- the mother box created this for him, so it gave yeah. him a little. He leveled up. It looks a little bit for those listening, like if you know anything about Deathstroke, the Terminator. It looks like that outfit a little bit, but if if it was a Superman costume, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing I liked, and you know, Jurgens, you know, he 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 repeated this uh, in the Rebirth story where Superman fought Doomsday, but he, he started it here of, you know, Clark fighting smarter against Doomsday, mm-hmm. learning his lesson. You know, he specifically says like, I can't, I can't go toe to toe, punch for punch with him. Like, I have to keep a distance. I have to use my other powers. Yeah. So I did it. It's like, all right, you know, you like to see some evolution. You like to see some strategy. You know, he still has an exceedingly difficult time. Uh, I, I did like when he, uh, you know, flew away and then he built up a lot of speed and, and, he, and he hit yeah. Doomsday. Like he was fighting, again, smarter than, not want to say smarter than he usually does, but it was just, <laughs> I think it was a level of strategy that you don't, he doesn't often need to use. No. Well, and then of course, Doomsday figures it out and he's like, throwing boulders at him from the ground and even Superman's like, Oh my gosh, he's still, still able to fight me from the ground and continuing to evolve. I mean, those, those, uh, knuckle, those bone, your knuckle bones, yes. like he's able to, uh, he like shoots it out like, them. yeah. Yeah. And it sticks in his sticks in his shoulder and he pulls him down from the air. It was great. It's, I mean, it's a pretty vicious fight. And ultimately the path to victory is 
with with the aid of you know Wave Rider's Wave time, Rider. travel, time travel device, bringing Doomsday to the end of time where entropy right. engulfs all. Nah, not a fan. I'm not a fan of that one. So that's that's where I was. I was. I was. I was not looking forward to talking to the end of the story, because how do they do this in Doctor Who? They do this here. Like, when is the end of time? Like, <laughs> like what? When is that? Like, what is that? Is that even a thing? We can kind of kind of talk about the beginning of time, but uh, it it just. That was the only thing, Anthony, that I was like, that's a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> like, I get it. I, I make sense. It's it's clever. But I'm going, so when is that? Like, do we know what happens? Like, what happens right before the end of time? <laughs> like, so I, I don't know. I don't I don't love it. Yeah, I mean, it. Look, it's a bit of a of a contrivance. I mean, look, we get yeah. we get a more physical version of it with the source wall, right? We've had instances yeah. where it's yes. like, okay, that's how we deal with someone. We throw them at the source walls. Like, okay, yeah. um, we had at the end of our worlds at war. You know, Superman brought Imperiax and Brainiac thirteen to the beginning of time to the Big Bang. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's oh, I mean, uh, obviously this came uh, first, but it's okay. <laughs> what? I'm being I'm being picky. I, I just I know we live in a comic. It's it's a comic book universe, but I'm like, all right, can we at least pretend physics exists? <laughs> like, I know I, it's here's the thing. I mean, having Wave Rider there, I felt at least that that made some sense, and that gave him a reason right. to be there. I mean, obviously he provides crucial information, but it's like okay, yeah. that ties in the time travel aspect, and then also, I, I mean, I have to imagine at this point in time, Jurgens was building towards zero hour. So maybe that's why that was, was. On, on the mind. And then of course that will come into play in doomsday wars when we find out how doomsday yes. survive that. But yeah. uh, you know, so you, you know, you leave Superman doomsday hunter prey and it seems like doomsday is done for good. He's gone. Yeah. You think he's gone. I get a little snarky about wave rider just because wave rider says he can see the past, present and the future. So I guess I don't fully understand like, wouldn't he be able to see that he was going to have to do this? Like, if he can see the future, doesn't he know how we get out of this? Like, so, like, if he says he's, he's not going to get involved, but he could see the future, like, does that, does that track? Like, it doesn't, that's to me like a paradox. Like, you're, if we say you can see the future, well, then what the hell? Tell us what happens. So, I don't know. I get pissy. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that <laughs> maybe I a, care. I care too much about that. I guess. <laughs> no, I mean I get what you're saying. I think that's a tough nut to crack. I, you know, it might be a little bit more palatable if he was just like I. I don't know. I, I can't see beyond the fixed point or something like that. And oh like, yeah, okay. Like that gives and us they, a little more wiggle room. They do that in certain time shows like Doctor Who. They say like that's a fixed point in time, or the future might not be fully written yet. We don't always know. I'd rather I'd rather say that. So, but yeah. but. Yeah. You know, we, we, and, you know, we'll get to Doomsday Wars in a second. And honestly, I, I did like Doomsday Wars as well. But yeah, at the same time, I think the reasons I liked, I'll say this, the reasons I liked Doomsday Wars had next to nothing to do with Doomsday for the most part. So Actually, much so yeah. that I think I, I'm on board with Hunter Prey being <laughs> because yeah. i think it really it has a specific story to tell it, it gives you the origin with dooms it gives you the rematch you ha- got to have a rematch at some point and it really takes clark on a journey i think they probably should have stopped there yeah so so should we talk at all about how the 
like the doomsday annual is really just a transition kind of it's they're two years apart but from the annual to this new story but it at least kind of sets up why doomsday gets to earth and and what happens so it's just to kind of summarize it for people if you don't want to read it or not it's just it returns to like we get to see mitch again which is cool so it's mitch and other survivors talking about the doomsday battle and what how it affected their lives we see young dark side we see uh the planet like all the kund like like that that is kind of cool green lantern deals with it and we go back to kalaton um and there's this kind of cheesy he-man gi joe moral at the end of the story kind of last page of you know if you stick together against tyranny and justice we win and it's just and then it's that's it so it just brings us to then a little history about doomsday and then we come to doomsday wars I appreciate. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I actually yeah. really, I really appreciate that because usually as hosts, like I, you know, I gotta break everything down. But I was, yeah. thank you. For <laughs> yeah, it's like let's just get through it. Just so if you're listening, um, that's fine. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't have a ton to say about it. You know, yeah, to your point, it definitely shows you how Doomsday earned his reputation, right? It fills yeah. in those gaps because in in Hunter Prey, you know, you get him leaving Krypton, yep. and then you ultimately see his defeat on on Kalatan at the hands of Radiant. Yeah. Uh, this energy being, and and then he's sent to Earth. But this shows you what happens in between. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a bit after school, especially about how you know you, about yeah. sacrifice and working together. Like just as an example, the the Green Lantern vignette is ultimately yes. a guardian who sacrifices himself, and that's Correct. able to subdue Doomsday temporarily. I think the thing I I liked the most was seeing Mitch, and also yeah. this idea that the victims, like all the people who were in the yeah. path in the path of Doomsday's destruction are gathering at the site where he emerged to try yeah. to find some answers, to try to have some moment of, of healing. Uh, I like that. I thought that was a neat, a, a neat, a neat bit there. So that was probably my favorite part of that annual. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're in a shop and you see it in like a dollar or $2 box, whatever, pick it up. The cover's awesome. If you love doomsday, the cover's great, but I think it does fill in some cool gaps and that's really all you need to know about it. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, that brings us to the Doomsday War. So now flash forward to 98. Now, again, folks, over the upcoming episodes, we're, we're diving back fully into the Triangle Era, the end yeah. of 93, 94, 95, 96. We're going death through wedding here. Yeah. Uh, so we're skipping ahead a little bit to cover to cover the Doomsday Wars. But again, we're going to we're going to go back and, and fill in everything else. The, the tone of this really does lead into some really important stuff between Pete, Lana, Clark, like it's very interesting. You see some different dynamics like going into president Lex and, and, and beyond this where Pete's vice president and a lot of different stuff in that dynamic. So this is actually an important read, but I, I kind of want to hear a little of your take first before I share with you mine. Like we've talked a little bit about it, but like what was your positive takeaway from this? Sure. So the doomsday piece of it is long story short, Brainiac's mind inhabits <clears throat> inhabits Doomsday's body. So you got this combination of brains and brawn. And as a kid reading this, I think I thought that was pretty cool. I think that was yeah. the, the lasting memory that I had. Reading it now, it's okay. It didn't really right. light my fire, but it, it definitely appealed to me more as a kid. But what really grabbed me now was, again, the character work. And it really, in both the past, the flashback sequences, and the present, really does focus on this relationship among Pete, Clark, and Lana and, you know, you see the sacrifice that Clark is willing to make for Lana and for the baby that she and Pete have had prematurely, who's in, who's in rough right. condition. 
so that was that was a part of it. And just like Hunter Prey was, you know, Clark in that story was driven by the fear that he had. Here, similarly, going back to what you were saying before, is the guilt. It's the guilt over not having saved Cat Grandson. And we're going to talk about that in our next episode. Yeah. Um, and not wanting to repeat that with Pete and Lana's kid. And and that is yeah. the heart of the story. And that's that's why it works for me. The doomsday piece of it, eh, I could kind of take your leave. But the the guilt and the lengths he goes to for his friends, it really resonated. You said something earlier that made me kind of wonder if Doomsday Wars would be a great story without Doomsday. Yeah. Like, like I actually think you could do, you could somehow have a creature or something that's not Doomsday that Brainiac takes over. Because actually all the Brainiac stuff's kind of cool. And we don't in this era, if you think past this era in the 2000s, Jeff Johns takes over and the Brainiac that we know is very different. Mm-hmm. It's a little different look and approach and vibe. Um, this is still the Kaluan Brainiac that goes all the way back to kind of Milton Fine and dealing with the stuff we've talked about in the past, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I don't, I, I, it's amazing you said that because I don't always think of this as a doomsday story. Like it is a doomsday story, but the things that I gravitate to are like Clark going out of his way to try to deal with this terrible thing while he's protecting the young baby. It's learning about how the Kents dealt with that traumatic event and how the community rallies around them because they are the Kents, you know, and who they are and how you help one another. And everybody brought a cow from the entire community to like rebuild the herd. Like there's this awesome character humanity pieces of this story that are really really worth reading well said i i i'm totally with you yeah that's the thing it's you see in this story instances where clark has failed he failed cat grant and you know again that'll be the next episode i haven't read it yet i'm honestly i'm dreading reading well, that, you have, that so issue you've never read that no, issue? i read it when i was a kid and i do remember oh. it but i've not reread it since and it's sad like it's hard yeah i mean i'm really not I'm really not looking forward to reading it, but I I like that Jurgens at least dealt with it. And because I, again, I'll be able to answer this after I've reread this era very shortly, but I don't, beyond the immediate aftermath, I don't know how often Kat's loss was really brought up or dealt with. So the fact that it's acknowledged here and that you see it's something that's still eating away at Clark. uh, A year, a year later. A year later, although there's a little goof because in a, in a subsequent issue, Clark says something about like years ago. So I think the timeline, but anyway, yeah. uh, so, you know, and then again, going back to those, those flashback sequences in Smallville where the, the town right. is hit by this huge blizzard and Clark is trying to get to the, to the, to the cattle and herd them in, uh, get them out of the storm. And they, Clark and Pete and Lana just can't make it through the snow. Yeah. And, you know, Pete has to really kind of talk him down to look like we, you know, and this, you know, Clark doesn't have his powers yet at this point in the story. Right. And he's like, we're not going to make it. And, and ultimately they don't make it and the cattle die. And he's, you know, when he sees Pa's reaction to that, to that dead herd, I mean, it just, yeah. it, it's, it's rough and you feel for the character. And so again, going back to the relatability, it's like, you know, you always think of Superman as winning and yeah, most times he does, but not always. And he never forgets those times that he doesn't. So question for you, are we sure Clark doesn't have his powers yet? Do they say that in the story? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I also feel like he, 
I don't think he would have let keeping the secret stop him in that in that instance. And I want and I wondered that, like, because there's a few panels where like it's him with them and he's standing by himself and it's like just him by himself and another one by himself. It's almost like he's thinking, Can I do this? Like, can I fix this? So I was questioning myself, going like, does he have his powers? And and he just can't do anything because they're all together. He can't he can't let them know that. I wondered though. I so maybe you're right. I'm almost positive that in one of his his inner monologues, he's he talking about it. not having his powers yet. Okay, yeah. I'll gotta look. I'll go back and look. Uh, but then you know, in the in the in the present day, uh, it we, it turns out that Pete and Lana, who you know are married at this point, right. uh, they have been pregnant. They haven't told Clark. Yeah. And uh, they've gotten into a car accident and Lana's in the hospital and the baby was delivered prematurely and is in rough shape. And the Smallville hospital is really not equipped. And so, you know, Lana calls Clark in uh, right at the same time that he's getting this distress call from the Justice League who are dealing with with Doomsday. You know, (laughs) you know, fair enough. Juergens, you know, kind of builds up like, who are they actually fighting? It's like it's it's called Doomsday Wars. I mean, you know, but he he doesn't drag it out. He doesn't drag it out too long, in fairness. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and you know, the, the scenes with Clark and Lana in the hospital, I mean, they really, you know, they really struck a chord where she's like, I've never asked you like, I've kept your secret. I've never asked you for anything. Like, I'm like, I'm calling, I'm calling it all in now. Like I need to get my baby to a hospital that can help him. That was pretty awesome actually. Cause you think about that. You're like, listen, that's a big ask that she's had to deal with knowing the secret and it's never done anything. I, I found that pretty valid. I found that very like, yeah, you get you get to call an audible here and go, I, I I need you to do this for me. No one else can do this for me. And no one will ask a question because you're just helping somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was pretty interesting reading the tone between like Pete, Pete to Lana about her relationship with Clark. Well, because Pete doesn't understand, like, why are you kicking me out of this room? Why do you have to talk to Clark in secret? Yeah. What is this about? And then you know, of course they play it as, oh, you know, Clark's friends with Superman and he, which, uh, well, n- number one, let me say that having done all the reading that I did, you know, last year, it definitely I- I enriched all of this, right? Getting yes. that backstory and seeing, you know, going back to Superman number two, <laughs> yeah, when Lex kidnaps and brutally tortures Lana for information about Superman, it's like she's been through a lot. I mean, the love story yeah. aside, she's been through a lot. Yes. Uh, the stuff with Pete, I mean, how how do you feel about the fact that they continue to keep Pete in the dark about who Clark is? I think it sucks. Like, I actually think, too, like, that Lana's now married to Pete. You should be able to trust Pete enough if you are if you love him enough to marry him. And, and he has a relationship with, with Clark already. Why would you not tell him? I think that's what really, that's what always, always frustrated me with that triangle. Cause that actually will, it could definitely, if you wait too long, create a rift. Now it's like, well, you've lied to me for all these years and we've been married. I think that's actually more harmful than not just telling them. I agree. I think they really do Pete dirty in this. I don't think anyone comes yeah. out looking great. And no. I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not, it'd be bad enough if Pete were a stranger, you know, Correct. but you can make a little bit more of an argument, but and that's the thing. The story goes out of its way to show you this bond that they've had since childhood. It's like, yes. why Why would Clark not want to tell his friend Pete? And beyond yeah. that, even if he, it's not his preference, right? You're putting your, allegedly your best friend, your an oldest friend, Lana, in a really, a yeah. really difficult position 
of lying to her yeah. husband. I yeah, I don't I don't like that. I mean, obviously it creates tension, but I feel like you would have the tension anyway because Pete knows the history. Yeah. And he knows how Lana has felt about Clark in the past. So I feel like most of this could still kind of play out the same anyway. Yeah. So I feel like that adds an unnecessary layer. I don't like yeah, I mean I don't I really think that's unfair to the character of Pete. I felt frustrated reading that. Well, and the whole there's a really powerful part where Pete like breaks his hand on punching Superman because he's so mad that Superman doesn't know where his son is. He basically gets thrown out of plane by Doomsday slash Brainiac. Pete sees him after coming off the plane. He's like, where's my son? And he has no answer. And he just like launches into him. It's like, and, and everybody's like, is everybody okay? No, no, you should take care of Pete. Don't worry about me. He broke his hand. Make sure he's okay. I know they're like, you want us to get this guy, Superman? Yeah. No, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. So they got, they got Superman too, like sticks and rocks ready. Like, I know. Cause right at this point in the story. So Brainiac, Brainiac's body, the Milton fine body, right. Has been destroyed. Correct. Uh, but you know, the consciousness has been preserved and, and in, in, implanted in doomsday, but that won't hold right. Doomsday's force is just too strong. So, right. So Brainiac and his Kaluan servant, right. They're trying to create a new form for him. And basically they, they need uh, organic material to then splice it with doomsday DNA and create yeah. like this new, this new, uh, like truly mindless uh, version of Doomsday that Brainiac will be able to inhabit. I mean, a little bit convoluted, but that's the gist of it. That's why that's they. T- that's why they take the baby. And that's kind of messed up too. It's like, so we're just gonna like ditch the baby after we like take some genetic material. Where it's like, boop, baby dead. That was also kind of dark too. It's like, whoa, they're just gonna steal the baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Although it ended up working out well for the Rosses because the the device that they place baby the baby him. Ross in is is able to bring him to you know sort of heal him and and bring him yeah. to uh, the state that he would have been in if he hadn't been born prematurely. So okay, there's that. Um, something I'm curious about how you if you if you caught this, there's like a weird hole or a I don't know whether it's a purposeful continuity issue, but how does Pete not get? that Clark is Superman because there's a point where Clark has his shirt off and he's wearing the Superman tights and the red boots and Pete calls him Clark. Yeah. And then later all is fixed. Everybody's happy. Clark still has a shirt off and he's wearing the exact same pants and Pete calls him Superman. I'm like, okay, what the hell? Like, like did, was that it? Was that like I wonder? Did you notice that? Was that like a oopsie? Like I don't get that. Yeah, I did. I did clock that. I don't know. I, I don't. Ha- I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, that. I don't know. Like no, <laughs> Pete doesn't go. Clark, why are you wearing blue tights? <laughs> it's just odd. I mean, I guess in that initial moment he was disoriented and, and right. adrenaline yeah. was pumping. Uh, you know, it, just, it, just, it was just it caught me as like a ooh, ooh. like I think we we might have missed this in script script supervision or well, something. You know, like and it's like maybe that could have been the moment for Pete to learn. Right. And that's what I was hoping. Like just tell him. Especially right then when like everything's resolved. Just tell him. Like bring him into the and then that would be an awesome way the trust is formed. Then we call we we name the baby Clark. Like that makes more sense. I know. Well, like you said, I mean, this definitely sets up the dynamic as we head into the, you know, the two thousands and president Luther and, and Pete being vice president yep. and the baby, uh, you know, and again, naming the baby Clark. So, you know, it's definitely important in terms of, you know, where we're going moving forward as far as how 
Doomsday even re-entered the picture. Like I said before, it goes back to zero hour. I mean, we find out essentially yes. that um, we don't need to rehash all of zero hour, but Hal no. Jordan turned parallax, tried to rewrite time. And to save the day, they had to basically restart time. So have a new big bang yeah. and everything had to happen again. And somehow that allowed Brainiac's Kaluan servant to yeah. intercept Quick. Doomsday at the end of time. There you go. Yeah. So zero Get hour. Him. Yeah, I... That was a little, I mean, that was a stretch. I was glad they did explain it eventually because I'm going, again, how do we get him? He was the end of time, entropy, dead. So at least they tried. <laughs> yeah. And as far as this Brainiac Doomsday combo, in fairness, it was cool to see. It was, again, it was a different take on, on Doomsday, right? So right. what would happen if he, you know, not only can talk, but he's he's brilliant, right? So now you have yes. this combination. But I, I think... And I don't know, this is not a failing of the story. I think this this kind of proves what, you know, what Loeb and McGinnis would later show in, in Superman 175. It's Because reading the story, Doomsday Possessed by Brainiac did not fight as viciously no. as we had seen before. So I think having that mind, you know, allowed for more strategy, but also kind of held back the ferocity. Right, he was, calcu- he was a calculated fighter, not a, just a terror. Right. Yeah, you know, and I did um, like the way that ultimately, you know, we were talking about this before. Uh, you know, the Justice League is fighting Doomsday on the Moon, and Superman rigs up these four JLA transporters, and and Doomsday is forever, forever until the next return, uh, but forever trapped between the four, so he's never more than twenty five percent whole. Uh, so that was right. that was a neat that was a neat I thought uh, that, yeah. solution. I dug that too, and I think there was a little snippet in there too. It's like the teleporter batteries will last for like hundreds of years or something like that. And I was like, all right. That's fine. That works. <laughs> that was good. You did it. You 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 crossed all your T. You know whatever. Um, <laughs> I I think the last close up that I think is really good to think about is as we've talked about in the past. There's always a good redemption side of this. Like um, we have the like the redemption story of the cows way back and the res- redemption of like Adam Grant and and feeling like he didn't fail the you know the the rosses he was able to kind of almost make up for loot like losing adam kind of deal so i like i like that part that's the thing in both of these stories he's overcoming fear yeah. he's overcoming guilt he, yeah. he really does go on on an emotional journey in these stories uh, i think jurgens really did a great job with both of these i, I really you know, for the most part, I think they really held up well. I enjoyed reading them. Uh, definitely Hunter Prey. Uh, but again, most yeah. of Doomsday Wars I thought was really interesting. Just not so much the Doomsday part of it. But I, right. again, I think that just goes to show what we've been talking about. That, you know, you can only go back to that well so many times. Right. But for for, for these stories, again, they were really enjoyable. So, yeah, for anyone who hasn't read them, I, I do recommend them. It's worth it. There's two versions of, like, the way to get the trade, too. And I'm not sure which one is more in print or cheaper like you can get this one which is part five of the like the like the volumes there's also one that's separate called superman doomsday that's like actually this is nice magazine form but there's also one that's in um like newspaper form too that's a little bit thicker it's got a few extra issues in there too and they are on the app as well believe it or not they are yep yeah um so something i was thinking about when you were talking just to kind of close up and just curious like we're talking about like we can go down so many different paths. Obviously Superman and comics have been around for 80 years. Okay. And now plus, can you think of anything else, any other medium that we could just talk and talk 
and talk. I mean, it's such a deep history of characters and all these little side characters. Like if we just look at like the, the Kenner toy line stuff we were talking about, Massacre and the Cyborg Superman, there's so many incredible little side characters. And that goes for every superhero universe, the Batman universe, the Wonder Woman, Justice League, all the Marvel side of things. I was I was kind of struggling. Like, what is what else is there out there? Like, you could be a Lord of the Rings fan, but it's got an end. Like, it's there's a limit to what you can talk about. Like, does that does that track with you? Like, it's just pretty incredible. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's a very you know special powerful thing, and you know specifically with with respect to Superman, it's like that's you know that's why I do this podcast, and what you yeah. know why there are, you know that's the thing. Like, there are plenty of Superman podcasts, and and we all somehow seem to find our own angle. Yeah. Which you, you know, at a certain point you'd be like, well, there's only so many ways you could come at this, but it's like when you have a mythology, this vast, yeah. you know, there, there are so many, there are so many angles. There's so many different pockets, so many different ways to come at it. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not just Superman. I think Superman is one of the best, if not the best examples, but yeah, I mean, across comics, uh, especially with these characters who have decades under their belt uh, and and I think, too, because it's not even if it were just comics, there's still plenty to explore. But it's the fact that we have all these adaptations and the material is constantly being reinterpreted. And yeah. it, it just it lends itself to these types of discussions. It's again, I, and I know I say this a lot, but I mean, this has been such a joy, you know, yeah. do, doing this show. And I, I wouldn't have expected that there would be I mean. I expected to an extent when I decided to do this that we'd have a lot right. to talk, but I don't think I would have, I don't think I could have really anticipated like just how, how, you know, deep we were going to dig into all of this stuff. It's been great. And that's the thing. Like you look at this, we, we, again, we spent two hours talking about one trade. Like it's really seven issues, but it's when you find two people that resonate on the exact same frequencies, there's a lot to talk about. And like, I, I hope that everybody listening, like find somebody in your circles that you can, or, or like seek out somebody that you could just go to a coffee house, go to a bar, go to a library, just talk. It's, it's awesome. It's fun. And, 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 and you so pinball off of things into different conversations different walks of life different sides of humanity it's a lot of fun to talk about so i that's 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 what that's why i love coming back anytime you say want to talk i'm like yes <laughs> <laughs> well that's a beautiful sentiment yeah I, I echo that and you know if if for whatever reason you're not able to to have those conversations with people i, I hope that this podcast can help you know fill fill that need uh to, to whatever extent it can uh, and Bernie, thank you so much. Always, I, you know, I always love having you on here. And in fact, well, you'll be back in just a few episodes to help me break down uh, one of the the portions of the Triangle Era. When when you come back in a few episodes, we'll be talking about uh, the period uh, from uh, from Dead Again through the death of Clark Kent conduit storyline. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up over these over these seven episodes. And uh, you know, in case anyone, if, if you didn't notice, this was episode 75 of Digging for Kryptonite. And then it's not an accident oh. that we start Ooh. Death to Wedding at number 75. So Look we're at always that. planning stuff out here. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. awesome. And you might actually get me to have to use the app in some ways, too, because I, I think Death of, uh, Death of Clark Kent is in trade form, but the other stuff is not. Like the Dead Again stuff's not. So... I, I don't really want to pull into my old issues. 
I don't I, I might, who knows? Well, <laughs> put on a pair of gloves. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, I look forward to the to the next time you're here. And everyone, thank you for listening. Make sure you come back next week for part two of Death Till Wedding. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.